0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We have some great, great news to share with you today from St. John Paul II. We're continuing our study in the role of the Christian family in the modern world his timeless document that was written 40 years ago, it's become more important in our day than even the day in which it was written. And today we're going to be talking about the forgotten secret to lifelong marriage. The average marriage that ends in divorce in the United States goes something like 8.2 years. Don't ask me how they figured out the point two years, but Before a decade is out, a lot of marriages are simply running out of steam, and you would think that people would be almost desperate to find that glue that can hold marriages together and not just in a tolerable fashion, but have an enjoyable marriage. Now, last time as we were going through the role of Christian family in the modern world, we had the kind of tough news from section 50 of this document, and this is what St. John Paul II said. It is a fundamental duty of the church to reaffirm strongly, and you know, I, I have to chuckle, but not out of a sense of, uh, this is funny, this is so serious, it's a nervous chuckle because he says we need to reaffirm strongly the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. And I dare say Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, in general, have been very shy about reaffirming this fundamental duty of the church. And then he goes on, to all those who in our times consider it too difficult or indeed impossible to be bound to one person for the whole of life, and those caught up in a culture that rejects the indissolubility of marriage and openly mocks commitment of spouses to fidelity, it is necessary. Now, what do you think it's necessary? To bring down the hammer? To say something just scares the living daylights out of people? Uh Uh-uh, you got it wrong. There is a corresponding truth to the indissolubility of marriage. Yes, the Catholic Church says you don't divorce from a valid marriage, but it then St. John Paul II goes on to say this, and listen very carefully, it is necessary to reconfirm the good news of the definitive nature of that conjugal love that has in Christ its foundation and strength. What is this saying? Well, as I just mentioned, the average length of a marriage in the United States that ends in divorce is 8.2 years. And it basically runs out of that steam or that charity that's necessary for that marriage to hold together. And what is St. John Paul II saying? And by the way, when he wrote this 40 years ago, the U.S. divorce rate was just reaching it, it was actually peaking. It hadn't quite reached its peak, but it was peaking. And he comes through and says, in the midst of all this, here's some good news. And one of the ways we spread the good news of the Catholic Church isn't just saying, well, the Catholic Church is is against uh, divorce from a valid marriage and remarriage. That, that's, that's just the, the minor key. The major key is there's good news that Christ— and I'm not talking about nebulous, abstract nothing here. I'm talking about a, a reality of Christian life at this moment in history that God can provide strength for a marriage that's beyond yourself. See, when you depend on yourself, you run out of steam. This is a little bit more. There's a something with the human condition that we're going to be talking about. Now, I'm gonna read a passage from the New Testament that refers to two Old Testament passages that gets right to the root of where the solution is really needed to make marriage work. In Matthew 19, we read that the Pharisees came up to Jesus and started testing him, okay? And he says, "'Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, Jesus?' And Jesus answered, referring to Genesis 2, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is reality. This isn't just a nice... Uh, a little saying at a wedding ceremony, they literally become one. This is a profound reality of married life. And then Jesus goes on, what therefore, why is the therefore therefore? Because what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So the Pharisees who are testing Jesus come back at him with Deuteronomy 24, which we talked about in our last episode. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? Deuteronomy 24, this is where the Pharisees built their case for divorce, and I mentioned, those Christians, even Christian scholars, who build a case for divorce in our day often start with Deuteronomy 24. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, for your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. When God created Adam and Eve, they weren't sent on a tailspin with original sin. And you've probably heard me a hundred times, but in case you're new to Faith and Family broadcast, let me explain sin to you as it relates to marriage and a lot of other things in life too. You spell the word with a small s. We'll skip that middle letter for a second. And then a small end. And in the middle, we have a huge overgrown 72 font I, overgrown ego. And that's what sin does is makes us very self-centered. And where that is sure to show is in marriage. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And Jesus is saying, because of your hard heart, because of what happened in original sin, there was hardness in the human heart. Now, yeah, it's kind of tough to have a loving, lasting marriage with a hard heart. And the old covenant was making promises and preparations for a new covenant, but it didn't really change those hard hearts, and that's why there was this time-limited permission for divorce in the Old Testament, and the really intention was keeping women from being traded around with men, but I won't get into all that right now. But here we go. We are not living in the Old Covenant. We're not living in the day when we're preparing for a new covenant and being promised of a new covenant. The new covenant is a reality, and one of the two key scriptures in the Old Testament promising that new covenant is found in Ezekiel 36, and just in case you're wondering where the other one is, it's in Jeremiah. But Ezekiel 36, listen carefully. In light of Matthew 19, Why allow for a divorce? What was going on? What was causing the disruption in marriage? It was for their hard hearts. Now listen to the New Covenant promise, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. What in the world could that be prefiguring? How about baptism? And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. So at the heart of the new covenant, is a promise of yanking out this hard heart, this heart of stone, this heart which doesn't make marriage a happy place, and in its place, giving a heart that God empowers with his spirit and causes him to work in his ways and obey his laws, like loving God with all your heart, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and if you're married, your closest neighbor is your wife or your husband. Now, let's go to the new covenant. Let's turn to the pages of the New Testament. New Testament, another way of saying it is New Covenant. The first miracle in Jesus's New Covenant marriage is in John, the Gospel of John, chapter two, and it's the wedding of Cana. And it says that Jesus was invited to a marriage. And just a hint for my conclusion today, is that uh, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't crash parties or wedding receptions, okay? He waits to be invited. That's a big hint, okay? And they run out of wine. You know the story. But verse six is pretty important. It says, now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, so you had uh, on the low end about 120 gallons of water for the Jewish ceremonial cleansings. And there is all kinds of cleansings that go on showing that uh, as humans, we're defiled by sin. We have a need of cleansing, but can we do it ourselves? Or could this purification waters from the old covenant purification practices really cleanse the heart so we have a new heart? No. Ezekiel says something new has to come where he sprinkles clean water upon us. We shall be clean from all our uncleanness, and combined with that is a new heart. And believe me, if there's any place at all in the entire planet where Ezekiel 36, this promise of the new covenant, takes hold, it's in a marriage. And of course, Jesus turns the water into wine. Now, I have a um, a real key for understanding the Bible for you. You're supposed to stay awake when you read it, okay? And when you're in Mass and you, <laughs> you hear the gospel read, we're, we're all supposed to stand. They hold up the gospels. I mean, this is important. We're not to daydream about what we're going to do tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever. Okay, in John 2, we just saw that there's this water turned wine, there's a transformation that's going to take place where Jesus is invited into a marriage. And then in the same gospel, there's a really key chapter, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, is John chapter 15. Okay, now it's been a long time since we were in John chapter two, we had to go what, 13 chapters, but if we stay awake, We find the first words in John chapter 15, Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Now, let's think for a minute. What grows on vines? Okay, we know, okay, grapes, and from grapes you get wine. Can we connect John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus is teaching of being the true vine. Now, what, what's going on here? I mean, like, if we back up just a couple of chapters and find what what is going on in John chapter 15 where Jesus is teaching about true vine? Jesus is instituting the Eucharist for the very first time. And in the midst of the Eucharist, probably holding up the chalice, he says, I am the true vine. Do you, do you start to get this? And he says in verse four, abide in me, and I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit for itself." Now, there's great promises for Christian marriage. St. John Paul II, this is the good news, okay, but you don't do it by yourself. And just skip the entire self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Sorry, Barnes & Noble, but that is not going to help you in your marriage. If self-help is going to increase the problem of self and self is the problem and not the cure, okay? Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And then he goes on, apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, if you don't abide in me, you're gonna wither. You're gonna dry up at 8.2 years on average, okay? But if you plug your marriage into... Jesus renewing and ongoing strengthening with the Eucharist, okay, when you enter the new covenant, you get the baptism, you get the sprinkling with clean water, you get the new heart, but the new heart has to be nourished because if you don't eat and drink, you're gonna die and your your physical heart's gonna have a lot of problems. The same with the idea of the center of you, your heart, you need nourishment, and that's what the Eucharist is for. Now, we're going to go back to St. John Paul II. This was all there, by the way, folks. This is all there, uh, right in the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And here's what he says, section 57 of that apostolic exhortation. The Christian family's sanctifying role is grounded in baptism and has its highest expression in the Eucharist, to which Christian marriage is intimately connected. Do you know when I became a Catholic, I was very interested in marriage and family life before I became a Catholic, and it was St. John Paul II's teaching on marriage, which was really the magnet which drew me into the Catholic Church, and people heard that. I was flying all over the place, basically telling people what I just told you today, and they go, wow. That was something, you know, connecting marriage with the Eucharist, and, you know, this is $3.25 in the role of the Christian family in the modern world, and I just tried to make it just a little simpler and whatever and get the point across, but I'm talking about lifelong Catholics. Here I am, a convert going around, and I basically knew very little, okay, still do, but nonetheless, I tried hard. And yet Catholics who had been raised in the church, married in the church, catechized in the church, hear the gospel in the church, never put the idea of their marriage and the Eucharist as something that should be joined together, something that St. John Paul II says they are intimately connected. Here's another one. He says, quote, the Eucharist is the very source of Christian marriage, unquote. So if you're a Catholic wandering around, okay, you want to have a good marriage. I'm sure everybody listening to me does, and you don't even have to be a Catholic. You don't have to be a Protestant. You don't, You I mean, everybody wants a good marriage, but where do you find it? Well, here again, St. John Paul II says, in this sacrifice of the new and eternal covenant, he's talking about the Eucharist, Christian spouses encounter the source from which their own marriage covenant flows and is continuously renewed. How do we keep from running out of gas? That's charity or love in our marriage. It's the Eucharist. It's not just an idea. It's not just reading the Bible and how great a thing it is to do that. But abiding in him in John 15, don't yank John 15 out of the Bible. Keep it in its context, the upper room, the institution of the Eucharist, and he's talking about a vine, and from a vine comes grapes, and grapes comes wine, and the new wine of Cana comes and renews and continues to refresh your marriage. This is the forgotten secret of lifelong Catholic marriage. Catholic Church says, don't get divorced. Well, it doesn't leave you there, just lowering the hammer about that. It opens a door. It has good news how this can actually take place. It's not impossible. And here we go. I love this one. And this is all St. John Paul II. I didn't dream this stuff up. Quote, as a representation of Christ's sacrificial love for the church, the Eucharist is a fountain of, of charity. I don't know why, but I like that one, and you know, your mind needs a certain image to kind of keep it in mind, and um, imagine you're at this, this glorious wedding reception, and they run out of wine or champagne, and then Jesus appears. He's brought into the scene, and then you have 120 gallons in a champagne fountain or a wine fountain, whatever it is, You know, it's a fountain of charity. It's overflowing. It's not a trickle. You don't get a drink every 10 years. No, it's supposed to overflow. Well, the very spot you're in a desert, so to speak, because of hard hearts and marriages stumble, crack, and break, this is to keep things going and refreshed and renewed. I'm going to have another one. This is all in the role of Christian family in a modern world. This is all section 57. In the Eucharistic gift of charity, the Christian family finds the foundation and soul of its communion. And then he goes on, the sharing in the Eucharist, quote, becomes a never-ending source of missionary and apostolic dynamism for the Christian family. This is a beacon of hope in today's world, because believe me, uh, you know, I've sat next to uh, guys on planes early in the morning, putting down Bloody Marys, you know, (laughs) at the time we should be having breakfast, and, you know, obviously not quite trying to live a Christian life, but when you start talking about married life or family life, they want it, they want the success. Catholics want the success, and it's Catholic marriage plus the Eucharist. And this sounds so simple, but uh, again, uh, I traveled all over North America, and people, thought, wow, that that was really something. And again, it was three dollars and twenty five cents to find out what the basic, essential foundation for lifelong marriage is, and it's absolutely wonderful. Now, how do we bring it home? Well, here's what I would suggest, okay, and it's based on my pastoral experience. In the the past, I was an evangelical pastor, and I discovered that on Sunday morning, you'd see this smiling, uh, nicely dressed couple, couples during a worship service, and, you know, you'd think, man, everything's just great. And then when they come in for counseling with their pastor, it was revealed that, ooh, wow, there's horrendous marriage problems. And the way that kind of the appearance on Sunday morning is that horrendous marriage problems are the first thing that could be. So here's my suggestion, okay? I suggest you get real with God about your marriage, okay? By getting real, I don't mean you have to stand up before mass starts and say, hey, everybody, I'm here. My marriage is rotten, but I'm here for the Eucharist. I'm looking for some can of gallons to uh, get me going. No, you don't have to do that. But do you know that God knows everything about your marriage? And if you're having significant problems in your marriage or minor problems or intermediate problems, he knows it all just waiting for you to get real and to invite him in. He doesn't come into a phony marriage, okay? Hey God, I'm looking great. My marriage is horrible, I'm looking great. Everything's great, I'm here. No, just just you know, get to mass a couple minutes early and just get real with God and tell him the truth. You don't have to say it out loud but your kids are sitting next to you, okay? but you can just let him know that you're having some marriage struggles. And then you can say, you know, Lord, I would really appreciate some of those of gallons of Eucharistic graces this morning. I need it for my marriage. And you can say anything you want in your own words. He understands, okay, he understands. And I have a, a suggestion for priests. It's actually three suggestions. It's the same suggestion, but I have three options. And this is episode 382 of Faith and Family. In case you would like to pass this on to your priest, it, there's no charge. You can find uh, this episode on all the podcast sources out in the internet, and you can find those probably faster than I can. But here's a 12-second suggestion for priests that might result in the transformation of marriages. And it's, the goal of this is to simply remind married couples that their marriage is connected with Jesus in the Blessed Eucharist. That's it. That's simple. And here's a suggestion. I think it's about 12 seconds. For those of you struggling in your marriages, come to the Eucharist this morning expecting Christ to provide healing graces. I would suggest to say that once a month, maybe more, okay? just And just a quiet moment before engaging in the formal part of the liturgy. Now, if you want to take 20 seconds, you can say, and for those of you struggling in your marriages, come to the Eucharist this morning, expecting Christ to provide healing graces. And as John Paul II said, the Eucharist is the very source of Christian marriage. And so the so you don't want to Sound the same every week, you can go for the 32nd version. For those of you struggling in your marriages, come to the Eucharist this morning expecting Christ to provide healing graces. As St. John Paul II said, the Eucharist is the very source of Christian marriage. In this sacrifice of the new and eternal covenant, Christian spouses encounter the source from which their own marriage covenant flows. That's it. That's 30 seconds or 20 seconds or 12 seconds, but connect the Eucharist with marriage and invite Jesus in no matter what the situation might be in your marriage because the coming of Jesus Christ changed everything. We're not living in the Old Testament where you use ceremonial water to try to wash away selfishness and sin. No, he changes the human heart. And when doing so, he changes the heart of marriage and enables marriage to be lifelong. And that's the secret. It's Jesus in the new covenant connecting marriage with the Eucharist. And so I would urge you to pass this good news on to your friends And I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 382 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.